Stephen Nathan, good to be seeing you again. There's a heck of a lot going on in the news at the moment. Let's start off with the most controversial subject, and it, it certainly is when you have a look at what the Biz News Tribe are consuming, to do with mandatory vaccines. Now, the, today we heard that MTN are going to be mandating vaccines, and I guess if you feel that strongly about it and you're in, you think that uh, vaccines should not or jabs shouldn't be forced on you, you might move your account across. Is this something that investors should be paying any attention to? I think investors are paying close attention to vaccine rates uh, and and the potential for mandatory vaccinations, I guess, starting with the government. Um, but I think, Alec, that uh, uh, the, the evidence shows that uh, countries with higher vaccine rates, higher vaccination rates, uh, have had better economic uh, progress. They've recovered quickly. Um, much quicker than countries with low vaccination rates. And generally, they're doing better. A lot of these countries, their GDP is higher than uh, than what it was before before COVID. So I think in general, the investors would say that the higher vaccination rates, whether it's driven by government or by the private sector, is better because it uh, it is linked to stronger economic growth. And that's much better for, uh, for companies, uh, their, their, their profits. Um, at a company level, uh, within a company, you've got different stakeholders. So, um, you know, if you look at, you know, are you protecting your staff or are you protecting your customers? And if you've got a happy staff, hopefully you'll have happy, happy customers. I think you're right to say that if someone's strongly against vaccinations, then they might say, and I'm an MTN customer, I might say, well, I'm not happy with that. I'm going to move to, let's say, uh, Vodacom or Celsi. But I think at the same token, if Vodacom and Celsi don't enforce that, then people that are strongly pro-vaccination rates, vaccinations might say, well, I'm going to move away from them because, you know, the company doesn't reflect my personal views and, you know, I might go the other way. Um, So I think there will be some customers who do that, but I think that they'll probably balance each other out. I don't think there'll be any material swing one way or the other. And I do think that more uh, businesses will go into the uh, mandatory vaccination uh, cap. It is interesting on a broader perspective with Omicron when it first came out because it is so uh, easy to pass it on and also to pass it on to vaccinated or previously vaccinated people that the stock market took a bit of a knock. Uh, there was a flight to quality. The, the dollar was strong. We saw the rand going way above 16 against the dollar. But now that it appears as though, yes, it might be uh, more easily transmissible, but it does seem to be uh, less or lower mortality or less serious illness from it, that the markets are picking up their head again. Is this a, a rational response? Well, it's difficult to, you know, to understand, you know, the markets because the markets also take a very short-term view. And it's often that you want to, you know, if you're going to panic, panic first. And when you do see some negative news, you know, like a new variant that could, you know, result in, uh, you know, lockdowns and then, you know, less less travel and less, you know, uh, uh, commerce globally, then you're going to see a potential negative reaction. But I think it's very, it's very short term. And I think markets are um, a little bit concerned as they should be because prices are at elevated levels, valuations are at elevated levels. So a lot of good news is in the market. And then when you get a negative surprise in a good market, uh, there's more room to react on the downside. And there's other concerns in you know, inflation. The global supply chain, I think, has been something that has been uh, um, underplayed and under 
and 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 sort of not as well understood by central banks. I think this issue of you know is inflation more permanent uh, or temporary? I think a lot of the central banks have said it's temporary, and it seems to be that it's actually not temporary. There's a there is some kind of structural change going on with uh, inflation because of supply chain pressures. So there's you know you're just putting some more negative news in a frothy market. But as you said, the market did go down, and now it seems to be. Uh, recovering because uh, the variant seems like there's probably some good news coming out of it because although it's more contagious, uh, the hospitalization rate you know, is dramatically lower. So this could be a good sign uh, for, you know, for us uh, defeating the virus at some, some future point. So how are you seeing the, the way this is all going to play out into the future, given what you said a moment ago, that the market has been, the investment markets that is, frothy uh, of late? Uh, well, I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the stock markets tend to be forward-looking indicators. So the stock market normally says, well, you know, it's normally pricing in what's going to happen in 12 uh, to 18 months' time. I mean, that's generally what happens. So, so there's often a disconnect between what we call the real economy, the way we feel things at the moment, versus what the stock market as a forward-looking indicator. But the stock market has really been buoyant. And I think it's, you know, it surprised the vast majority of people how well it has done, although it has been concentrated, you know, quite narrow, narrow, narrowly in the tech, uh, the tech sector. But you know, we've seen that other sectors have subsequently benefited. So I think there's a lot of good news in the stock market, uh, and I think that uh, we've all got to temper our return expectations going forward. You know, I tend to be a longer-term investor. You know, and you know what I'd say is, if you look at the the next ten years of returns compared to the last 10 years in the global equity market and the global bond market, where you've had phenomenal returns. You've had bond yields fall, so you've had good returns in, in bond markets, and you've had you know, phenomenal returns from stock markets. I think it's highly unlikely you're going to see that the next 10 years uh, are as good as the last 10 years. And that doesn't mean you're not going to get decent returns, but I think there's a lot of you know, expectations are very, very uh, high, and I think there's more room to disappoint than to surprise on the upside. So stock picking is going to be a, a skill that will be highly prized uh, if you have a more difficult stock market. Listen, stock picking is always a highly prized skill. And, 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 and kind of uh, the important thing is to get the sectors right because if you've got sort of like, you know, like the tech sector right, you know, and then we're talking about you know, pl- platform companies, big software providers, you know, that's the call you've got to make right. You know, whether you get, you know, doesn't matter whether you pick the, the you know, you don't have to get the very best one. But if you picked, you know, like the automotive sector as an example, uh, you know, uh, then doesn't matter if you pick the best company, you would have you would have done poorly. So what's really important is to try and get the sectors, the sectors right. Uh, but that's also easier. You know, it's always easier said than done. And once again, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a more sort of cautious investor. So I would go for the diversified, uh, you know, balanced uh, balance view because it's very difficult to see who those individual winners uh, and losers are going to be, and then it tends to be very narrowly concentrated as well. You know, there's a there's a handful of companies that do well, and it's interesting if you look at a South African context. I mean, Richmond has done so well this year. You know, it's kind of pulled the market. You know, not quite single handedly, but it's had an enormous impact. You know, and in, over the last few years, Naspers would have done that, but it hasn't done that. You know, it's been an underperformer. And, you know, it's a lot of people who say, well, if NASPES underperforms, you know, all you've got to get right in South Africa is, is, is the NASPES call, you know, and it never plays out quite as simply as that. Talking about NASPES, uh, we do know that the way that NASPES' share price has risen is due to the investment that was made 
around the turn of the century in a company called Tencent, which is now one of the world's internet giants. Tencent is, seems to be repaying the favor by investing today more than a billion rand in a South African business, Time Bank. Yes, the Time Bank, uh, uh, you know, it's a phenomenal success story. It's been around a while and it's, I think it's only in the last sort of three years, you know, that's really uh, got its business model correct and it's got, got explosive growth and it's somewhere between three and four million accounts that have been opened. They're not all active, but it's still an incredible achievement in their technology. I've actually, I'm actually one of their clients, Alec. I was so interested in this technology and trying to open a bank account and it's, it really is, uh, incredible. You can do it just with a fo- your phone and your ID. That's all you need. The technology is amazing, you know, and the big banks, uh, with their legacy systems are so far behind. So they've got great technology. Um, They've 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 done as you say a sizable capital raising. Uh, it started earlier this year where they bought on some international shareholders, uh, and this this round of funding, which is almost three billion rand that they are raising, uh, is for primarily expansion into the Philippines. So it's not so much a South African play. They're taking their technology to expand into the Philippines, which has about 110 million people. It's also a developing uh, market with sort of low uh, low income low incomes. But the difference between the Philippines and South Africa is that there's a much larger unbanked population in the Philippines because they haven't got a formal banking sector like we have in South Africa. So uh, there's a lot more potential for them to acquire customers, first-time banking customers, using that technology. Uh, and that's a very exciting opportunity for someone like a Tencent. That, uh, Tencent's, what's interesting about Tencent's, Tencent is that they're a big investor in new technologies, uh, which is a bit of a conflict with what Nuspace is doing and Process because they're trying to do the same thing. Um, so it's not not only uh, Process that's trying to diversify away from Tencent. Tencent's core business is trying to diversify away. Uh, and they are one of the biggest investors in venture capital globally, uh, you know, right up there with the big VC companies. And it's fantastic to see that uh, Time Bank has attracted their attention and, and other foreign investors and was able to raise, uh, as I say, up to 3 billion rand. 